I like that song. So, yes, we are going to do a show today, which maybe more than usual puts me on terra incognita. Or let's put it this way. Here's a commentary on me, myself. <laughs> um, my favorite topic. Uh, no, that we did a show on uh, earlier this year on Occam's Razor, you know, which was this, this principle developed by a medieval you know, a monk uh, <laughs> named Robert of Ockham. Uh, and I was much more conversant and comfortable with it than I am with emojis. Uh, I'll just tell you another quick thing before we get going, which is that this is something that you don't know, uh, even if you listen to the show every day, uh, which is that every day I come in here and Slack is up. Uh, and either that or there's a program called Assistant Producer that's up. It's usually Slack, though. Either way, though, I have to let everybody know, including people who are working off-site, that I'm here. And so what I do is I type in the words, I am Groot, uh, whichever thing that we're using. And this meant that my producers felt as though there had better be a Groot emoji so that they could kind of click back and acknowledge me with that. Uh, So a Groot emoji has been added in some mysterious way that I don't even comprehend to our library of possible emojis on Slack. But emojis are, they're, you know, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, well, they're not everywhere. Although I saw pictures. I just watched a documentary about them. There are billboards that use emojis, <laughs> which almost seems to violate the very idea of an emoji as something that lives on your inside your phone or on social media or some kind of digital space. Uh, I think they're kind of leaking out these days because people like them so much. So uh, let's have some people who know more about them than I do, which would be really kind of 99% of humankind probably. Keith Brony is joining us, editor and chief of Emojipedia.org. Uh, we'll be talking to him uh, in uh, both the first and second segments. I should say that the reason for doing this show, or the thing that kind of got us thinking about it, is that there's a musical. There's a, an, um, uh, a bro- There was an off-Broadway musical about emojis that's on tour. Uh, and... We thought, wow, just, you know, if they can make a musical out of it, we should be able to do a whole radio show. So, uh, so let's get going. Keith Brony, welcome to the show. My absolute pleasure to be here. So maybe just sort of begin. Well, first of all, it might be helpful uh, to explain what Emojipedia uh, is. Yeah, sure. So Emojipedia.org is the world's number one emoji resource. As the name suggests, it's an encyclopedia of emojis where we catalog all of their different meanings, their different designs, and different trends related to emojis across the world of social media. And, and maybe let's just play the numbers game a little bit. I mean, how many emojis uh, are there available to use today? So without getting into some of the technical nuances just yet, there is over 3,600 emojis that are available freely for people to use in the emoji keyboards that come as default across all their various digital devices, their smartphones, their tablets, even their desktop or laptop computers. Right. And and we should say that there is sort of a council of hooded figures, except they're actually very nice people, uh, that oversee this whole process. Uh, this is referred to as Unicode. As long as we're doing this, you might as well explain that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the shadowy emoji overlords that are Unicode. Uh, Well, Unicode, first off, is an international body that does much more than just regulate emojis. It regulates all kinds of digital script, digital text. Uh, It basically creates the standard that 
all digital devices should adhere to to make sure that we're able to see every single uh, like written character that exists from the Latin alphabet to the Cyrillic alphabet to you know, Arabic numbers to Arabic text. All of those characters should be able to be read by every single digital device. And it's the Unicode's Unicode standard that makes sure that that is the case. And since 2010, emojis have been part of that Unicode standard. And since then as well, that international body has been responsible for any new ones that emerge on your emoji keyboard. To be very, very clear as well, again, without wanting to get too much into the technical nuance too early, when I use the term emoji and when Emojipedia talks about emojis, we mean all those colorful characters that you can place in line with text. We don't mean big stickers or GIFs or what have you. We mean the crying, laughing face and the red heart that you can put at the tail end of your text messages. Right. So um, and maybe to, to kind of uh, drill down on that a little bit, too, um, there's a way in which the distinction you just made is a distinction which has something to do with the way the nature of emojis verges towards either an amplification of existing language or kind of a, 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 a sort of sub-language that, that underpins um, verbal discourse in digital spaces, right? There's a lingu- they're, they're more linguistic in some ways than they are as pictorial as they would be uh, if they were the other thing you were just describing. Yes, absolutely, because they're used in, you know, digital written utterances of language in a way that images can't really be used. Yes, images can follow or precede uh, script, but emojis can be right in the middle of it, similar to how we can use punctuation in the middle of a series of sentences that we may send in a text message to a friend. And emojis really... They sit at this intersection between design, um, business, computer science, and linguistics. Um, in fact, we see this in the kind of emergent academic research into emojis. It's hugely cross-disciplinary. Right. And it is a source of great fascination to people in academia. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in in the second segment. Well, I mean, then the question becomes, well, what if there's an emoji that you want, but it doesn't exist? For example, we recently did an entire episode of our show about tambourines, uh, which sounds like a bad idea, but it was actually a very interesting show. But it made us want, well, not me, but it made people connected with the show want a tambourine emoji, which apparently does not exist. So if one wanted to bring it into existence, what would one do? Absolutely. So if one wants a tambourine emoji or any other idea or concept created into an emoji and placed in the emoji keyboard, we have to go back to that shadowy, quote unquote, shadowy organization, the Unicode Consortium. Uh, These days just goes by Unicode, but they basically have an open call each year for emoji proposals. And absolutely anyone in the world can propose a new emoji. If you go to Unicode's website, you'll actually find a very, very thorough uh, guidelines page that explains how to go about structuring a proposal, what kind of data you should try and be pulling from to justify the creation of this emoji. Um, Because when an emoji is added to the emoji keyboard, it is seen by billions upon billions upon billions of people every single day. They are some of the most recognizable symbols in the entire world because, again, they come by default as standard across all of our contemporary digital devices. And once a emoji has been added to the Unicode standard, 
it never is removed. So you need to think, is this a concept that's going to last the test of time and be used by a significant proportion of people across the world? How general is the concept of tambourine? Well, yeah, but they've been around for centuries, so <laughs> that wasn't the problem. Um, it, sounds, it sounds, Colin, like you've got a strong argument for a tambourine emoji, and if there's anyone out there that wants to add to that argument or wants to add, put forward an argument for another type of emoji, again, go to the Unicode website. I will say you gotta get your uh, you got to get your argument in order uh, ASAP because the deadline for the next batch of emojis, uh, emoji proposals to be considered is the end of July. And they, they add, what, 60 a year, something like that? The number varies historically. It, that largely comes down to whether or not we're adding new people, because when a new person emoji is added to the keyboard, we generally support it in three different gender variants and five different skin tone variants. So we usually go, we have an explicitly male version, explicitly female version, and an emoji kind of with a design that kind of sits in between, attempting to be gender neutral in presentation, where the concept of gender isn't at the forefront. And we also have different skin tone variations as well for every person. Now that can rack up the number pretty quick, but um, at the moment, the list for uh, the end of this year has about 31 when you include skin tone variations, uh, but that's because there's only two new hand gestures in there. Are there are there emojis that you wish existed but do not exist? Um, there is a constant kind of discussion in relation to certain topics. One thing I know that has been requested for a very, very long time is a plain pink heart emoji. And this one's actually uh, quite prescient right now because it's actually on the short list for this year. Um, so all going well, that should be released at the uh, end of this year into early 2023. Um, if people aren't aware, different uh, digital device manufacturers release the new emojis at different times. That organization we mentioned earlier, Unicode, signs off on them in uh, September each year. Uh, it used to be March, but then a, a big global event happened that kind of knocked off everybody's calendars a little. And uh, basically every September, Unicode will recommend a batch of new emojis. And each digital device manufacturer, Apple, Google, Samsung, etc., will start providing support across the next year or so. So one thing that happened that transformed or at least significantly modified a tremendous amount of culture uh, has been the pandemic. And this is something that you've written about, too, that uh, obviously because people are communicating about the pandemic and they're communicating through the same means that they communicate about so many things, uh, they might want, uh, well, they might want a coronavirus, you know, protein spike kind of emoji. They might want a, a masked face emoji. They might want a syringe. But you've indicated that the enthusiasm for those things ha has not been so much of a constant. Yeah, absolutely. So within the emoji keyboard at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, we already had a syringe and a face with a medical mask and a micro emoji. The previous two, the face with medical mask and the syringe are actually some of the oldest emojis in existence. They've been on the keyboard since the very, very, well, not the very, very beginning, but certainly the beginning of emojis in the Western world. And the microbe was added several years ago. Now a microbe is not technically a proper depiction of what uh, you know a virus is, but at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw the microbe and the face with medical mask spike in usage because, of course, we're seeing a huge global event that, for most of the world, was very unique. Um, and then the, the debates about you know 
medical masks emerged. And of course, people were trying to find a way to talk about the coronavirus, this huge novel experience. But what we saw in the data that we were monitoring in Emojipedia was after the initial couple of months, yes, these emojis still received elevated use compared to before the pandemic. But this was much more of a sugar rush than we anticipated. And people's emoji usage, by and large, returned to what it was before. People predominantly use emojis to convey emotions. And we don't need to add the uh, microbe emoji at the end of a sad face emoji when we're talking about the pandemic, because we're probably talking about the pandemic with words and using the emoji to convey our emotion as well. So although we saw again, a sugar rush, a spike, and a kind of diminish, uh, diminishing usage um, at the beginning in terms of those particular emojis. People were still talking about the pandemic with emojis, just not trying to depict it with the emojis. They were instead using the emojis as they always have done to talk predominantly about their emotions. And in the same vein, uh, no pun intended, um, <laughs> at the tail end of 2020, uh, we saw an emergent rise in the syringe emoji as people began to discuss the vaccinations that were beginning to roll out across the globe. Right. So those emojis didn't go viral. See, if you can do the vein joke, I can do that joke. Um, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you absolutely are more, more than uh, welcome to. So um, I just want to circle back to one thing, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to uh, keep you bringing in another guest and talk really very specifically uh, about linguistics and semiotics and all that cool stuff. But... Um, one thing that we didn't mention talking about uh, the Unicode thing and the idea of seeking a new emoji is there are certain things that are just sort of flat out not happening, right? Uh, commercial symbols, if you want McDonald's arches, you're not going to get them. And deities, I think, is the other one that I'm aware of. Yes, absolutely. In fact, when you mentioned a Greek emoji at the kind of introduction here, as I was sitting back listening in, I, you know, the first thought occurred to me was, well, you're not going to get that within the Unicode standard. Yes, you can add it to your organization's personal Slack as a reaction, but it will never be on our emoji keyboards because it's a, a commercial, it's the property of a commercial entity. Um, and Unicode is not going to encode those concepts. We're not going to have Mickey Mouse, and we're also not going to have any deity from any major world religion. We'll have symbols that represent those religions, but we're not going to see a, a deity as an explicit person emoji in the keyboard. This is just against Unicode's current uh, policy in relation to what proposals will be considered. And for those of you who think Mickey Mouse is a deity, then you're really out of luck on, on two scores. Um, although Mickey Mouse may be in the public domain pretty soon, so who knows? Uh, all right. Well, we'll take a quick break here. We'll come back. I want to talk very specifically uh, about how emojis and kind of more standard language interact uh, and possibly compete with one another. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. 
individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We are back talking about emojis with Keith Brony, editor-in-chief of Emojipedia.org. Uh, joining us also is Alex King, an associate professor of philosophy at Simon Fraser University, uh, who runs Aesthetics for Birds, an aesthetics and philosophy of art website, and has written compellingly uh, about philosophy uh, and emojis and linguistics and, and lots of that kind of thing. So, Alex King, welcome to our conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this question. Uh, my sense is, and Keith may also want to jump in on this, but there's probably kind of an inverse relationship between uh, the time when people stopped talking on the telephone quite as much, you know, at a certain point it almost became uncool if you have a smartphone to use it to call somebody. Uh, it seems a little counterintuitive, but that's kind of true. And the rise of emojis. I mean, in a way, emojis are being asked to do an awful lot of things that inflection, tone, uh, and other manners of speaking used to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, this sort of started for in, in my own autobiographical experience. Um, with just instant messaging online also. So, you know, you instant message people and that predates uh, emojis, but you would always put like little sort of the the colon and parentheses for a smiley to just indicate that, you know, you might be teasing someone or something like that. Because when you're texting, when you're just writing quick little bits of text, you don't get a lot of, as you said, inflection or you don't get warmth or anything like that in someone's tone. You can't really indicate sarcasm. Um, so you use, I think, originally emoticons and now emojis a lot to indicate that kind of thing. Right. And, and you know, Keith, one hears a lot of fretting about the idea that emojis could conceivably drive out written language as we know it. But the truth is, it seems like emojis aren't really replacing written language. Like if I write a newspaper column, I'm not going to fill it up with emojis, although we should say there are projects like Emoji Dick, which attempt to render Moby Dick entirely in emojis. Uh, but emojis aren't replacing written language so much as they are reflecting the fact that so much that used to be oral language is now uh, being typed into digital spaces. That is absolutely right. Emojis aren't replacing language. They're a complementary tool to written language in a digital space. And as you mentioned earlier on, these symbols are so incredibly popular as communication tools that we're beginning to see the aesthetics of emoji begin to emerge into the, the quote unquote real world. They're on billboards, they're in advertising campaigns. People use emojis as a tool. They're some of the most recognizable designs in the history of aesthetics. And now we're seeing them just be used in 
more and more different ways, but it's not that they're reducing our language capacities. They're allowing us to be able to add symbols to represent inflection in your, your voice or even a certain hand gesture, maybe not literally, but add an approximation of the, that paralinguistic uh, nonverbal information into our digital text. Yeah, and you know, you know, in that sense, Alex, the the actual visual aesthetics of the emojis become somewhat important, um, or maybe vitally important. I mean, you could almost ask yourself if the poop emoji looked different. You know, if it wasn't smiling, if it wasn't shaped the way it is, if it wasn't, um, you, you wonder whether it would be used the same way. I mean, you could have two emoji emojis that meant poop, but they would probably wind up being used somewhat differently just based on their appearance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are uh, a dozen or more variations on a smile, and they all have slightly different nuance and connotation and things like that. Um, I think one of the interesting things from an aesthetics perspective about emoji is that so many of them are kind of positive. Like, as you said, the poop emoji is smiling. Um, the moon is smiling. There's all kinds of things like that. There's a lot more smiling emoji than there are like sad, genuinely sad ones. Even the the sort of weeping emoji is often used now for like an excessive, you're so happy or something so funny, you're weeping as opposed to genuine weeping. So I think that that's a kind of interesting sort of social aesthetic perspective on what's going on with emoji. Right. So and I'd like to sort of explore that one a little bit more, Keith. So um, uh, there, yeah, there is an emoji. Well, there's a sort of a straight up weeping emoji that actually looks sad. But then there's this other emoji that's smiling. Uh, blue rivers of tears are coming down the, the face of the smiling thing. And and. I, I when I see it kind of like I think the maybe the official or semi official labeling of it is tears of joy. Although in my own experience, people are more likely to use it to say I'm laughing so hard at this that I'm crying, which is I, I think it's sort of what Alex is talking about. There's a way in which as you use it, the meaning changes. Absolutely. So the, the loudly fa uh, crying face or the, the face with tears of joy has historically been used in that space to convey laughter. And we've seen that it pretty much wholesale began to replace LOL as a kind of, um, you know, a, a kind of you know, digital utterance or symbol of rapport or, you know, amusement. Um, I think what Alex is referring to, if I'm not mistaken, though, is a face, uh, an emoji called the loudly crying face, which is a face which has two huge waterfall-esque tears coming down its face. And originally intended to mean genuine sadness, the design is so melodramatic <laughs> that people are using it as a sense of being so bowled over by laughter. It's, they're so overwhelmed that they cannot stop their tears kind of flooding from their face. And this actually, um, as per uh, our own research at Emojipedia, became the number one emoji on Twitter for quite some time during 2021. Now, on the surface, you're like, wow, we're, we're second year into the pandemic and we're, we're really failing to handle it well. Well, that's actually not true. We're not actually crying. We're actually expressing laughter with this loudly crying face emoji. In the same way, would you believe that the skull and the skull and crossbones emoji are to a lot of people across the world now 
also symbols of laughter because what they're doing is using an emoji to encapsulate the, the phrase, I'm dying laughing or I'm dead. Again, the implication there being, I'm laughing so hard, I've died because I was so overwhelming. Yeah, and so, the, the, you know, Alex, there's a sense in which you can make something and tell people how to use it, but they're going to use it how they're going to use it, uh, which may be considerably divergent. Um, I, I think there's one emoji that was supposed to be sort of an info desk woman, woman, woman works at the info desk, and she's kind of kind of got one hand up in a certain way, but apparently it's like turned into something like, I don't care about what you're saying. <laughs> which is the opposite of what InfoDust people ideally would want to do. So there is kind of a human caprice or at least a way in which we as organisms interact with digital code to get other meanings out of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the intro song that you had for today's piece on emoji uh, alluded to the eggplant emoji, which on its face seems like it would just be the eggplant vegetable, um, but has come to mean something quite more sexual. Um, and so it's it's kind of interesting to see the way that, um, in a certain way, emoji feel like uh, what are sometimes called constructed languages. So Esperanto or um, Klingon or something like that, like a language that somebody just creates. Uh, and then it's just given to the world, right? Emoji are really interesting in this way. And then it's like the world will do what it's going to do and will people will shift and things will shift over time as they do with normal languages. And so people co-opt, you know, a skull and crossbones and somehow that becomes a sign of utter hilarity. <laughs> well, and I, I think what we can say is, if you want somebody to bring some eggplant over to your house, just write the word eggplant, all right? Because yes, and absolutely, <laughs> and, and peaches too, probably. Right, those things are no longer helpful in 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 conveying the meaning that they were initially intended to convey. And you know, I'd like to ask both of you this as kind of a last thing. You know, I I think first of all, we could probably all agree that the use of emojis plotted as a uh, as a timeline a trend line across ages gradually declines as uh, as the groups of people get older uh, and so <laughs> i think there are a lot of people from my generation and i i'm 67 years old you know keith i'm not entirely emoji literate like i know not enough i know enough not to use eggplant <laughs> correctly. But sometimes when I'm using emojis, I'm really kind of almost terrified. What if I get the skin tone wrong? What if it means something other than what I think it means? What if it's, you know, and and maybe sometimes when I'm seeing emojis, I have the same problem. There may be sort of a literacy gap growing between these symbols and the people who uh, interact with them. So the process that's happening there, look, it is happening. Although I would say, I wouldn't say that emojis are less popular amongst, you know, people from older generations compared to younger generations. Anecdotally speaking, some of the most fervent emoji <laughs> users I know are in um, their, their kind of in, in the older age demographics. But certainly what is happening here is a mechanism that is as old as verbal language itself. This is the emergence of in-group slang terminology and phrasing. And where are all these new emoji meanings where new meanings are, are being imbued to certain emojis where 
maybe lesser used emojis are being picked up and being declared it means this and you know traction it, it, it picks up there we're seeing this on on social platforms and more and more these days we're seeing these kind of conversations and these emergent meanings occur on TikTok. So it's just a case of the demographics of where the conversations are actually happening. You know, we only have about a minute left, Alex, and, and so not time to talk about this. But the other thing that had to happen uh, over the course of the life of emojis is that they had to be made more inclusive. In fact, the people who made the first ones didn't really think about people who wear a hijab or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's happening is so if we, we have already talked about the gender inclusivity and how, you know, originally there were emoji that were only one gender and now then they added male and female and now they've added a gender neutral option and they've added different kinds of skin tones, but there's still a lot of way to go on that. So for example, you can do different skin tone families, but you still can't do interracial families, right? Different skin toned members in those families, all kinds of variations like that. So there's a really kind of interesting question about how we map inclusivity. And given that, you know, the consortium is based in California, whose responsibility is that? Mm. How does that work? And those kinds of questions. All right. Alex King, we got to go. Keith Brony, we got to go. Editor-in-chief of Emojipedia.org. That's Keith Alex, is Associate Professor of Philosophy at Simon Fraser University. We will be back with some talk after this. In the U.S., we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. So uh, time to do a few thank yous. Today's show, well, the technical producer was Kat Pastor, which is always the case if everything's going right uh, in the world. And then the producer of this episode is our senior producer, Lily Tyson. So uh, we're going to end here with the notion of taking everything that we've talked about so far and putting it on stage, which, you know, might be a little bit hard to imagine. But in fact, Emoji Land is a real thing. It is uh, a musical that received the coveted Checkmark from New York Times Critics' Choice, and that's the ticket to everything. So uh, Emoji Land, the musical, is uh, co-created by Keith Harrison Dworkin, a composer and uh, creator of Emoji Land, the musical. I just said that, uh, and but I'm, I'm saying it with emojis this time. So first of all, welcome to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And we're going to be talking about uh, the musical and also some of the theories behind the musical, which it turns out get into questions of semiotics and stuff like that. So I, I brushed up on my saucer before this conversation, so I'll be able to talk <laughs> about signs and signifiers. But maybe just to begin with, this is a musical that takes place inside a smartphone. Maybe say a little bit more about it. Uh, help help a listener kind of imagine what we're talking about. All right. Well, uh, the general conceit of the show is that emojis in the smartphone that we are observing or are kind of part of are sentient and alive, and uh, they have identities which are based on their, you know, very base level characteristics. And so they are kind of two-dimensional on the surface, but then of course they have a very three-dimensional inner life, and the musical explores what that may be. 
All right. So, yes, not only are the emojis alive, but it's great to be alive. Let's hear a little bit from Emojiland, the musical. All right, so that's a, a little clip from the musical. Um, and, yeah, maybe begin also, Keith Harrison Dworkin, by telling us what was going through your mind. Uh, you didn't just wake up one morning and think, I think I'll do a, a musical where all the characters are, are emojis. Talk a little bit about the inspiration. Uh, well, the inspiration was a Google Trends report. It was 2014 at the time, and I uh, had been encouraged by some producer friends to write my first musical after working on many as a music director and orchestrator and such. And I was, you know, I, I had been through so many processes that I knew that writing a musical is a very painstaking and laborious and often fruitless endeavor. And so I really wanted to love the idea before diving in. And I'm kind of a tech nerd as well. So I like checking the Google trends. And at that time, it just so happened that Apple had released the emoji keyboard as a default feature on their iOS instead of an international keyboard that one had to select in the settings. And so all of a sudden, all these people with iPhones had emojis thrust upon them. And so the number one searched word that week was emoji. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I was just looking for inspiration you know, for this purpose. And I had certain ideas of what I wanted the show to be. I kind of like high concept, imaginative things. And I wanted to be able to explore a world that would give me the chance to uh, manifest allegory and also to explore kind of off the beaten path casting options and uh, methodologies. And so I just I saw emoji and it just clicked because they're literally characters. You know, it's an alphabet and alphabets have characters and plays have characters. And so it was just an easy one to one in my mind. I've learned since that it is not an easy one-to-one -one in most people's <laughs> minds, much to my chagrin. But, you know, luckily enough, folks have liked the things that I've done with the idea over the years that we've gotten to where we are. But, you know, it really took many page one rewrites. It's been uh, because the options are just so, so limitless. There's so many different characters to choose from. What is the narrative? Because there's there are inherent characters with which I have to work, but no inherent narrative. And so that has been the challenge and also the wonderful adventure. So because, I mean, one of the things that you, you really did want to explore, at least mentally as you were uh, preparing this musical, is that notion of what sort of language are emojis. And this gets into two different theories that you have, which I'm excited to have you explain. One of them is the many digital worlds theory. You can start out with that one. You know, many are familiar with the general gist of the many worlds theory. It's been around for decades, and it's essentially, you know, an idea in quantum mechanics that there are infinite universes. And, you know, when I started writing this piece, it was obvious just in conversations with people, hey, I, I, I'm going to write this emoji musical. And people really saw it as kind of like a, and nothing against these aesthetics, but like a bobblehead kind of children's show which I love, but uh, was not really my vision. And I really wanted to understand for myself how this world could actually exist, 
that it was really more of a science fiction than a fantasy. And so the general gist of where I got to is, you know, digital systems are based on zeros and ones and zeros and ones represent the actual physical on and off of circuits on a circuit board. You know, it's either on or it's off. It's a circuit, zero or one. And we combine those many, 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 many circuits on a circuit board to create this digital language that is binary. And we as uh, humans, uh, the computer programmers, they determine what the different strings of zeros and ones mean as represented by that string of circuits. And so I imagine that, let's say you have a certain string, 00110011, fine. And the programmers decided that that string in this programming language in the world to the user is going to mean, you know, a smiley face. Well, that smiley face just means that because we decided it does. But there are essentially infinite worlds in which 00110011 could mean anything. And so it's a pretty simple concept, but allowed me to imagine that the code that Unicode has defined as, you know, the binary definitions of these emojis that we see on our screens as two-dimensional glyphs are in fact living creatures, beings, organisms, what have you, that inhabit the phone. And so you could call it my emoji font, but really it's kind of my emoji universe. You know, what is this particular iteration of emojis in the emoji digital multiverse? Right. And really this could be a simulation hypothesis situation where, in fact, our conversation may be a completely artificial thing being conducted by emojis. It could be emojis are actually sitting at the top of the existential food chain, and they're just entertaining themselves right now by making two simulated human beings having a conversation about them for their own entertainment. And it does get into the arbitrariness of language. I mean, it's just, as you say, a series of ones and zeros in a certain order can mean a specific thing instead of another specific thing. But that's also very true of language. I mean, there's no reason that one thing's called a shrub and the other thing's called a tree. There's a biological distinction between the two of them. It's it, it's more the way that language kind of works. So it's kind of exciting to, to think of this idea of, of doing it in a musical. And that leads us to your second theory, the significance of significance. Go ahead with that one. Well, uh, the significance of significance essentially states that nothing in the universe is inherently important, including the universe itself. So the choices we make as humans, you know, or in the show emojis actually tip the dynamics of the universe in the direction of that choice. I basically, you know, believe that all dynamic systems, not necessarily digital or even human are basically matrices comprised of what I like to call significance vectors, which are simply, you know, what matters to something or someone and how much. You know, when we kind of think of this way, it, it, it actually simplifies many of the universes and life's complexities, at least it has for me, as I've thought about this over the years in my own life, when you're having a conflict over something, uh, you know, we have all sorts of emotions and things come up. And if I stop and I just ask, like, what really is mattering to this person? What matters to this governmental body? You know, it applies to politics. It applies to a lot of different things. Over time, over our lives, we project significance on all sorts of things. And in fact, you know, the universe itself on a chemical level, it projects significance. And so in the musical, you know, there's a song called Anyway. And if I may 
you know, share the, the lyrics, you know, really encapsulate this. And I, I really wanted to try and capture these ideas I was thinking about outside of the show, inside of the show. And the two ideas kind of, you know, merged. The song lyrics go. We are fragile. We are small. To most of time and space, we're hardly here at all. If we vanished into air, who'd be left to care if there was no one there? But I can think, and therefore I am, and part of the universe, not just the ram. And if I can love, then isn't it true? Love that I gives from the universe to every moment we're making a choice we're giving the universe part of its voice deciding what matters is deciding what matters and so it essentially says in these lyrics the the general gist of the significance of significance which is nothing matters on a fundamental level and therefore when we as part of the universe decide what matters to us we are deciding what matters in a larger sense right that was that's profound and yeah i like the evocation of descartes and obviously in some cases if you're a certain kind of emoji it's more i poop therefore i am a keith harrison dworkin thank you so much for talking to me composer and creator of emoji land the musical thanks for your time sir my pleasure thank you and that's the show today. Uh, so uh, go text somebody and send an emoji you've never used before. Alive.